Hello and welcome to another episode of North 100. I'm Serge. Joining me today is Jeremy White. Alex Stacy, Hi-o. And Liam Coughlin. Hello. Today's theme, we're going to be talking about deck building, specifically lessons we've learned over years of deck building, um, pitfalls to avoid, tips and tricks, some fun stuff like that. But first, a reminder that this stream, North 100, is brought to you by you over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. I'm excited for this episode, guys. What about Same. you? Same. Yeah. I am also De- Definitely one of the most important episodes. Mm-hmm. So I want to start us off with our returning segment, the best card you're not playing. And on deck today is me. Yep. I have a pet card <laughs> I'm very excited to talk to you guys about. Uh, it is Periphery Nodes, uh, also known as the uh, color-shifted version of Drop of Honey. So technically it's two cards, because these cards are identical. Yeah, but yeah. They're not quite Co- identical. Color-shifted. Color and yeah. price tag. Price aside, <laughs> I love these cards. I love these cards probably a little bit too much, and I think they're underplayed, which I think is one of the one of the themes we're going to talk about, the best cards you're not playing. You have got to explain what this thing does. So these are one-man enchantments that come into play, and on your upkeep, on the controller's upkeep, it destroys the weakest creature. Destroy, not sacrifice. Uh, let me read that really quickly. Correct. Destroy. Uh, doesn't target. Uh, and if there are two that are tied, you choose one of them. I love this card against aggro strategies. Um, I think it's really disheartening if you're like a tempo player or an aggro player and you play a threat and I play this and then you have to make the, the value judgment of do I play out a second creature? Do I just keep feeding cards into periphery nodes and because let it generate card advantage? when there's no more creatures in play, you sacrifice periphery Yeah, the second Correct. part is you have to wait for the board to be completely empty before it goes away. So it just... It just ratchets up the value over time. And um, I think this card is criminally underplayed, and I love it, and uh, I want to see it in all of your brews. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty staxy. Yeah, it's, I, I, yeah it's, it is super staxy. It's also really good in control. I played it in blue-white control that I played in the Urine Championships last this year. This gives me such a, like, a um, tabernacle of Pendrel Vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, vibe, you're just like, oh, God. This is, like, except it's worth, it's like halfway between Tabernacle and the Abyss. Yeah, it is. <laughs> What's well, one of because those? It's like the Abyss, but it starts at the bottom and just starts eating yep, up. Yep, yep, This is Ooh. one of those cards that you slam down and your opponent is just like, there's a lot of words on this. And you're also, like, yeah. it's just like, how many creatures do you think you could kill with one white mana? If the answer was all of them. <laughs> if the answer is even card. more than one. Yeah. I think is the great part. If you get two cards out of this, you're winning. Well, yeah. not winning, but you're, you're doing pretty no, good. No, you're winning. It's pretty okay. hard. <laughs> you're in pretty good shape. Jer- Jer- played this and Drop of Funny in the same deck once. Yeah. Yep. That, was, that was pretty hot. I've run that in Enchantress before. But Oof. Yeah. Is there a specific reason that you called on... Uh, uh, hi, folks. Graham here. Is there a specific reason <laughs> that you picked uh, Periphery Nodes over Drop of Honey? <laughs> I, I wanted to skirt around the price tag issue, I'm going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I found out... I was talking to my co-host here before the show started, and I was like, let's talk about Drop of Honey. And they're like, did you know it's $800 now? And I was just like... <laughs> Pardon? Yeah, median median price on the uh, site I'm looking at is uh, four hundred and fifty eight dollars, yeah. whereas periphery nodes median price is seven fifty. Hey, let's talk about the affordable option. Uh, yeah, I, another thing on that note is that periphery nodes is white, whereas drop of funny is green, and you're more often gonna play a low creature count deck in a white deck yeah. as opposed to a green deck. Yeah. So periphery nodes actually just is strictly see, better, see, I think. Yeah, it's not strictly better. Well, it just no. it just sees a lot more, more play bit because more synergy in the because deck, it, yeah. it it fits into more decks just because of the the color shiftedness yeah. of it. You need to be a like a pretty niche deck to actually want to play Drop of Funny. Bant Enchantress. 
Lands is a great <laughs> one. Lands. All right. Moving on. Okay. Um, we're building a deck. And I think well, the... maybe you're building a deck. Yeah. All right. So we're sitting down. <laughs> it's time to build a deck. And I think the most important question when you start this off is, what am I playing? Yeah. There's a, there's a few different ways you can start it, I think. You either need to fig say, like, all right, I really want to play a control deck. Or I really want to play with this specific card. I really want to play with Thrun the Last Troll. Or like an archetype. Or yeah. I really want to play, yeah, I really want to play like an equipment heavy Boros deck with all the equipment matters cards. Mm -hmm. Like you need you need a pretty reasonable idea of a starting point. Well, you need inspiration. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I th I think if you're if you're looking for that inspiration, right? If there's not a card that's grabbing you or there's not some strategy that like you immediately tend towards whether you're either newer to magic or maybe you're not uh, super akin to like completely designing your own deck from the ground up. Mm -hmm. um, a good a good way to go about it is to sort of ask yourself what you typically like having your role be in, in a game, mm -hmm. right? So if you like being the one who's answering everything, answering all the questions that happen over the course of the game, well, you might want to tend towards playing a control control strategy. Yeah, more if you like asking all of the questions. Uh, if you like turning stuff sideways. Right. So one thing you might want to do is ask a lot of small questions, and they have to answer all of them or else they're going to die, which is like aggro. Or you can try asking, which is sort of my favorite thing, uh, asking one very complicated question, mm. such as, can you beat me when I cast this doomsday after directing <laughs> you with Pact of Negation and Force of Will yeah. Right. So I've cast 10 spells, what now? Yes, yeah. what are you going to do? Or you might find yourself being like, well, I actually kind of like doing both those things. And for you, I say there's mid-range. Yeah. Um, so um, it, it really it, it is possible to sort of establish what you want to yeah, do. Yeah, I think. I think the question you sort of ask yourself is either, uh, at, its, at its simplest, is what kind of magic do I like playing or what kind of magic have I not tried playing that I would like to yep. try? Or the all-powerful all third question, what kind of magic do I like forcing my opponent to play? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Sir, uh, Serge and I, I both mean, guilty of playing prison and or yeah. over-controlling strategies that force the game to go much longer than it normally would. I've been told I'm the nicest person who will ever strip mine long. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was me. I said that. <laughs> it's like, oh man, he's playing the dirtiest, nastiest magic, but he's such a cool guy. Uh, yeah, you just can't get that mad at him. I literally said yeah. it last week as I had no lands in play and there was an Assemble the Legion on the other side of the board. Yeah, so we, we, we've answered the question of <laughs> what am I playing? Where did my initial idea come from? What is my inspiration? However, however that idea comes from you, I, I think the important question after that is how does this deck win? Like, what is my win condition? Yeah, well, yeah. This is this is a thing that I see in like some decks. There's a there's a couple of like first timer like Highlander deck building problems that show up, and like one of them is just like this deck has no way to win, and it has like lots of really cool stuff, or just not enough ways to win. Yeah, um, yeah, or or like the classic you get is like you're playing a bunch of like one and two drops, and then you're playing a bunch of Wrath of Gods. Yeah, yeah so like, your deck like, is unfocused. You're looking to do really more than one thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're just like, although technically you have ways to win, you're sort of battling at odds well, with yourself really with hard. winning the game. Well, yeah, I think we're all like, kind of hinting to the idea there of synergy, and 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 sometimes winning is unique to the the list you're playing, and there's different ways to do it. But it's making sure the cards you're adding build towards your win condition. So yeah. we hinted to if you're a creature-based deck, you want to make sure you're enabling your creatures to win. You're not playing something that kills your own creatures. If you're a control deck, you want to have win cons that fit within that as well. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 
putting together a, a cohesive structure that fits with your theme and and knows how it wants to win. Yeah. yeah. Are you good? Ooh, wow. I was going to say, well, because um, yeah. <laughs> that, that sort of reminds me of the, the other um, first time deck building problem that I see, which is like these heaps of good cards mm -hmm. that need to pick a lane. Like I'll see, I'll, I, I think I, I've actually seen a deck that had Goblin Guide and Inferno Titan in the same list. And it's like, those are both really good cards yeah. that do not belong in the same list. It's just like, yeah. go one direction or the other. Like, so focus is and a thing. I think one word we really need to hit on is streamlining a deck. Mm. Just making sure that the deck is all, as as Alex said, just like in the same lane, going the same direction, not not somebody going down the wrong way on the one way yeah. street. I, 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 yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? Yeah, just like Goblin Guide and Inferno Titan, as Alex mentioned. Don't, yeah, don't don't just, build that deck. Yeah, yeah, not going in the same direction. Well, mm -hmm. and I, I think ultimately, once you've sort of settled on a basic deck idea, and you've got maybe you, you know you, what colors you're going to play, and you have a basic idea that you want to be an aggressive strategy or you want to be a controlling strategy, whatever, you want to sit down and say, okay, at the end of the day, how is my deck winning every game? And, and you can usually summarize that into like a one-sentence statement. Right, so like I can say I'm planning to attack with creatures and use burn spells to reduce my opponent's life total to zero. Yeah. You can say I'm looking to assemble Kiki Jiki plus some kind of untapping creature <laughs> in order to create infinite Pester Mites or Deceiver Exarchs or Restoration yeah. Angels to kill my opponent. You can say I'm looking to get Voltaic Key and Time Vault onto the battlefield at the same time. And once you do that, it becomes much easier to look at a card and say, how does this card help me get to this one sentence? sort of game plan that I've, that I've outlined. And all yeah. of a sudden, if your plan is to play burn spells and attack with creatures early to reduce their life total to zero, you're looking at this Inferno Titan, and, and what like, you should think is, how am I ever casting this, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like all the other spells in my deck are really low mana cost and right. doesn't work. So. Or maybe you look at it and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to ramp up into this Inferno Titan and play some lock pieces, and then you should look at the Goblin Guide and, and say, like, what the heck work. is this doing here? It's yeah. going to run into Chalice of the Void. Like, yeah, or like, yeah. I draw this on turn 10. Right. Goblin yeah. Guide doesn't help me on turn 10. That's not the strategy I'm looking mm -hmm. for. Yeah, and how, how late is your deck planning to go yeah. is another thing when you have to look at. It's like, whether you're a proactive deck or a reactive deck is another big idea. Like overarching idea when Jeremy, you're... Jeremy, what, what do those two terms mean in the context of magic? Yeah, so if you're a proactive deck in this format, you're trying to it, you're trying to win the game by turn five, if unimpeded. Or on or, your or, terms. Or or earlier, yeah. Yeah. You're you're trying I mean, to you don't necessarily have to be trying to win early to be proactive, right? Prison decks are proactive. <laughs> sure. But... You're you're trying to as, as to steal Liam's analogy earlier, you're trying to ask the questions as opposed to answer the questions. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, way to reactive do it. decks are trying to play based off of what your opponent's doing and proactive decks are trying to sort to some extent ignore what your opponent's doing and just play yeah. your game plan as powerfully Questions as you can. Questions in, in this context meaning cards that you are playing to force your opponent to deal with. Yeah, yeah so like in, in the stacks example, smokestack. The the card smokestack is a very powerful question. You're forcing your opponent to answer. Yep. Or they yeah. will... It's like, I need to get rid of this or it's going to or attrition Nobody will have a board anymore. Yeah, so you know, smokestack, four, four mana artifact, for, for those who don't know that, during your upkeep, you can put a counter on it, and then all, during each player's upkeep, they have to sacrifice a permanent for each counter on smokestack. And you can actually kind of trickily stack these triggers so that yeah. you never end up sacking as much as your yeah. opponent yeah. does. And also your deck is usually designed in a way that you can take advantage of the smooth yeah. so in a way like, that your opponent can't. Voltaic Brawler is a question, and Swords to Plowshares is an answer. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that that 
proactive strategies won't also have answers and vice versa. But it, it's, it's good to know, again, going back to the theme of your deck is what does it do? How does it win? Do I understand how all the pieces come together and stuff like that? I'd like to talk about uh, win conditions. We, we kind of hinted on stuff like that, but, but how, would you, how would you define a win con and through, through theme and through synergy? And here's a harder part, and this is something we've touched on, and something we'll touch on probably in every episode forever. How do you actually go about evaluating a good card? Because we talked about Inferno Titan, mm. we talked about Goblin Guide. Both are very, very good cards, but, but how do you evaluate if that is what you want your deck to do? Well, there's like, there's, I think there's two levels you need to evaluate cards on for okay. Highlander. One is, is this card good? in any context which is it's important we'll, we'll yeah, get to yeah, that yeah. Um, and the other one is like is this card good in my deck because mm. we have a we have a bunch of big lists of format staples that are just like tried and true great cards you know we keep coming back to the example of goblin guide and inferno titan they're both great cards that do not belong in the same deck and that's the sort of secondary assessment you need to make um, you need to look at things like as Jeremy said, like how long you're planning on the game to go, how much mana you expect to have access to, or how much mana you're going to make yourself have access to, um, or you know, conversely, whether you want to try to get in there um, as quickly as possible and go very low to the ground, uh, meaning that you know you keep your curve really low, you play out a whole bunch of threats sequentially and overwhelm your opponent. Yes, I, I think that it's important to understand that there's. When we're talking about win conditions, uh, it's easy to get bogged down and think of a win condition as a card, right? Like, mm, Consecrated yeah. Sphinx is a win condition. Yep. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to boil down to one card. Your win condition can also just be, you know, the plan that your deck is planning, is trying to execute, right? We talked about redundancy in the past, and odds are some decks aren't going to hinge on just like six or seven cards to end the game. Yeah. Obviously some are, but yeah. there's two different types of win conditions, right? There's the win conditions which are just you know, here's, I'm playing here's it, a it, bomb. Right. Well, well like they're, they're, the two groups are like the obvious bomb type win conditions, mm -hmm. like Inferno Titan or like Time Vault. Just like things that clearly win the game by themselves. But there's another group, the Goblin Guide group, where it's like Goblin Guide and Falcon Wrathgorger and Zergo Bellstriker. Well, and that win condition of. is your opponent's life is zero as quickly as possible. Yeah. Right. I exactly. In but that sense, Lightning Bolt is a win condition. Yeah, 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 yeah. You but know, because like, you understand it's 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 the number of turns you want to win at. Your, your win condition is killing them as quickly as possible. The important thing to note is that a Lightning Bolt may be a win condition in the Goblin Guide deck, but it's not a likely not a win condition in the Inferno Titan deck. Yeah. Even yeah. though both decks are likely playing Lightning Bolt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in that case, it's an answer. It might it might be an answer to a planeswalker exactly. or a creature, and maybe incidentally you finish off a player with bolts in yeah. in, in the big red version. And that like sort that. of goes back to what the the overarching strategy you're going for is like how long you want the game to last, whether you're the proactive deck or the reactive deck. Yeah. What what role lightning bolt is playing in your deck? You you can also I think a, a kind of neat way to summarize a win condition is you can look at a win condition as the game as a game state that your deck needs the game to be in yep. to be winning, mm. right? So for a control deck, your win condition, the game state is probably something like, I have more cards in hand than my opponent, I have some threat on the board, and my mana is untapped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're if you're a blue-based control deck, if you're other control decks, it's going to be slightly different. It's Whereas like, for I an just... aggro deck, your, your board state that is your win condition is, their life total is zero. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. that's actually the board yeah. state we're looking control for. Control is, I just wrath and I can play a Planeswalker next turn. You're yeah. like, I'm probably doing well as control. 
Right. And yeah, like the aggro deck is like their life total is four, and I'm untapping with five creatures. Yeah. <laughs> then have evasion. Right. And, you know. And it's interesting. This is why playing mid-range is often very hard, because we keep switching back between combo control and aggro examples, because it's very obvious what your win condition is. And if you have aspirations of building a mid-range deck, I would highly encourage you to do so. It's not a problem. They're real good. They are very good, but one of the inherent challenges with A, building them, and B, playing them, is understanding that these are the decks where the win condition is contextually going to be different game to game, even in the same matchup. Yeah. Um, so if you're playing green-black control, your win condition against mono red is what I was talking about. It's uh -huh. your life totals around 10. You've got one or two creatures on board. Ideally, one of them has lifelink. Maybe you have Soren Markov in play. That's, that's the kind of win condition you're looking for. Whereas in a different matchup against control, your win condition actually looks like, yeah, my life total might be low, but I have more cards in hand than them. Yeah. Uh, I have more lands in play the than they do. Now. Right, exactly. And, I'm, I'm and so being able to identify that yeah. is important. And in deck building, you want to make sure you make decisions about your deck that allow you to get to those win conditions as best as possible. Yep. And, and in many different matchups as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and that actually brings me to my next point really nicely, which is consistency. So mm -hmm. how do you get to your win condition in a format, in a 100-card singleton, which is inherently inconsistent? Yep. And, and so you can do that in a couple of different ways. One is through trying to make a very, very consistent deck list. We talked about that with a red deck, of trying to put as many burn spells at a number of times. Yeah, re redundancy. Or, yeah. or through tutors or through card draw. And there's, there's all kinds of really neat ways uh, to talk about consistency in deck building. Yeah, it's in a 100-card in a format, you either play as many almost the same cards as possible along you know one type of linear strategy or you play a bunch of cards that facilitate you finding the few cards that you need yeah so you know mono red or like mono black or something like that it just plays a bunch of lightning bolts or a bunch of two ones for one um uh whereas you know like your sort of like blue x based uh decks um will play draw spells like impulse brainstorm you know, Ponder, stuff like that. Yeah. So they're looking at virtually more cards than. You There's know. a lot of green based creature decks that use a lot of creature tutors to sort of act like a blue deck as well. Yep. They use cards like Birth and Pod, Survival of the Fittest, and Green Sun Zenith. Creature tutors like Green Sun Zenith, Worldly yeah. Tutor, Eladamri's Call, Court of Calling. Which is like rapid firing through all the tutors <laughs> right here. Yeah. Sorry, Graham. Yeah. Also, sorry sorry for the viewers. So we went through a list of, of blue cantrips, the whole the whole goal being to try and see as much of your deck as possible. And normally normally in the blue strategy, you have enough mana open or enough land in your deck that you're not falling behind despite spending a little bit of mana each turn. And in the green deck, uh, gives you access to a lot of creature tutors. So you're hoping that you'll have the answers you need to your win con within the, within the creatures themselves. So use mm -hmm. the creature tutors to, to try and, um, and make your deck more consistent. Make, make your, sorry, when I, when I talk consistency, this is a point I like to hammer on, is um, you want to make it so every time you sit down and you play the deck, it feels like the same deck. You don't, wanna, you don't want For to... For the most part. Like, there's always going to be variances, but you want it to, broadly speaking, do the same thing. It, it, you you want to be able to continually get to your win condition. You don't want it to misfire, which is, which is a problem in an inconsistent deck, especially in a ramp deck. Something I've experienced before is you have a deck, uh, you have a game where it's all ramp and no payload, Ooh. or all payload and no ramp. And, and so you're either like, I have a million mana and I have nothing to cast, or you're like, I can't actually cast any spells in my hand. And that, that I think, I mean, that obviously there's variance, because there's variance in in this format, but sometimes that can be a deck construction issue. You'd be like, am I playing enough lands? Am I playing enough threats? Am I playing enough 
ramp spells when, and you know getting that balance just right. And sometimes you can. That's like one of the issues with the ramp deck. Is like if the ramp deck worked every time, it would be the best. It, deck. it would be the best deck in the yeah, format. Right. But like because you're you're just casting overcosted <laughs> overcosted things earlier. Yeah. So I'm curious because this is from the perspective of someone who's never built a Highlander deck, but mm -hmm. I know that we've we've never had this conversation. Never built Highlander deck yet. Yet. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I know that we'll we had this you. conversation before, Alex, where you're talking about. Uh, a deck that wants a tutor, it'll run, you know, all the good tutors. I, I, I know that one of them at least is pointed. Yeah, um, well, a bunch of them are. And then, yeah. you know, like, it, it'll run all the best tutors, and then all the good tutors, and, and then all the, okay, all the okay tutors. Like, at what point does that, so, like, at, like, at what point does that sort of rule crater out? Like, yeah. where do you, where here's do you balance the here's, consistency here's in works, wanting is, some, yeah. Um, the decks that want to play every remotely playable tutors will are generally speaking combo decks because they yeah. want to find this thing and this thing that when you have them together you win. Yeah, and there are no duplicates and of them no, is the and, important and thing. They're like there's no second copy of Time Vault. And so Painter Servant Grindstone. Um there's, there's Time Vault. Yeah, there's only one card like that that exists. Yeah. yeah. So you have to play uh, yeah. and and if your deck is just like I want to win with Time Vault um I need to find this one card that I only have one copy of. So I have to play a bunch of good tutors, some okay tutors, some dirty tutors, some embarrassing tutors. Well, and, and what some decks will even do is they'll tutor for tutors. Yep, tutor right? for a better that, tutor. That's, that's what the Storm deck did for a long time yep. uh, before it was ravaged and had demonic tutor pointed <laughs> so it could no longer play demonic tutor uh, Black Lotus. But yeah. basically the way, that, tears. That's the, fair. Way, yeah, the way like, that the Highlander Storm deck used to work was that if you could assemble Black Lotus plus uh, Demonic Tutor plus a little bit more mana, uh, you could just win the game straight up. Because uh, what you could do is Demonic Tutor is a two mana tutor that finds any card. Black Lotus, most people should know, it's zero mana, makes three, three mana. And what you could do is you could just crack the Lotus and you could search with Demonic Tutor. You could go find ill-gotten gains. You could, Yog will. Yeah, you, could, you would ill-gotten gains back your Lotus and your Demonic Tutor plus your other thing that made mana. Then you would cast those all again. You would go get Yogmoth's Will. You'd go do it again, and then you'd Tendrils of Agony them. So actually, Storm was just a two-card combo deck. Uh, Find these two cards and plus yeah. plus you needed some others for some mana. Yeah. Dark yeah. Ritual, Cabal Ritual, Lion's Eye Diamond. They all worked. Um, but but as a result, you were really tutoring for tutors really aggressively. So at the risk of clarifying that point for you, uh, the like how bad of X kind of card you include in your deck goes back to your earlier point for how how is your deck actually winning? Exactly. I have yeah. I have an I have an example I love to give on this one, which is I'm a control deck, and now I need to ask myself the question of how many counter spells do I have to put in my deck in order to see how many every game? And so am I the kind of control deck that wants to counter one spell consistently every game? Do I want to counter two spells every game? And then you start doing the math. You're like, well, I have a hundred cards. I might not be drawing stuff, or say I need to have a counterspell in my opening seven in order to make this keepable. When you start looking, you're like, well, I probably need to have probably like 15 counterspells in my deck. And then you start going from the top down of how many playable counterspells are there. I think Jared did the math the other day. It was like 40? You, there, you were pretty well, deep. Jared, Jared I, played 37 played, counterspells. I played the other day. 37. There's, there are I've, some pretty I've, bad I've, ones. <laughs> I've played as many as 44 in a deck. Yeah, Oof. but that goes to the question of the tutor as well, which is how many how many tutors do I need to win? Do I need one tutor to win? If, if am I one card away from winning the game at any point? Yeah, it's like how you know it comes back to having this you know your win condition based around one or two cards. 
you know, that's when you play all those, you know, the the the, the diminishing returns number of tutors. Yeah. Like, um, whereas other decks that just like play a lot of redundant threats will sometimes play like a couple of like the highest end tutors as kind of silver bullet cards. So, for example, like Eladamri's Call um, is a tutor that shows up in a lot of creature-based decks, and like sometimes not even any other tutor. But Eladamri's Call is just really, really good. Or it's like can you introduce I, that card really quick? Yeah, Eladamri's Call is, is white green instant. Search your library for a creature card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So it finds any creature Finds in anything. Deck. So this okay. is this is a sort at, of... At instant speed, which yeah, is a big deal. It's, oh, yeah. It's really good. It's like, what if Demonic Tutor was an instant? Well, so it's like... This I, isn't Demonic Tutor. One, one of the classic yeah. plays with this card is instant speed, go get Aven Mind Sensor, cast Aven Mind Sensor, yep. in response to your opponent's, say, Demonic Tutor, yeah. and they yeah. can only search the top four. Yeah, or, so, the, you know, this one... Uh, Illidarmy's Call is like really like top end of the creature tutors, um, and it sh it sees a lot of play in creature based decks. You know, just because it, it's kind of a it's kind of a wild card. Um, yeah, and you play it just because of its its enormous quality. Because you're just sort of like, what do I need right now? Yeah. Of this like cornucopia of types of creatures. Well, and the big thing about it I is have. that, like Jeremy said, is that it's an instant. It's so low opportunity cost to play. It's very different from a card. Um, like say like altar of the bone or something. Um, yes, yeah, secret tech, which is like green, Shonted. which is the same card, but it's a sorcery that you have to sack a creature for. Yep. So all of a sudden, the opportunity cost on that card skyrockets, well, and, and it's not as good to put in any in any given deck. It's really only good in the decks that creature want a want a creature really really bad that, really that turn. But that that brings up the idea of card advantage. So the other reason that Eladrami's Call is better than Altar of Bone is Eladrami's Call doesn't cost you a card. Mm. Where Altar of Bone, if you don't have a token in play, you're having to sacrifice something. So, and we were, we were talking about this before and how you, you evaluate your win condition. Oftentimes, regardless of the deck, if you have card advantage over your opponent, you're, you're probably ahead. Would you like to briefly define card advantage? Because we bring this up a lot. Oh, I think man. just explaining it once would be... I don't know if I have a succinct definition of it. I, I do, if do you, you like. Sure, yeah, yeah take so, it. So at the end of the day, in most games of Magic, um, you can do all of this like complicated, uh, what's their life total, what's my life total, what's my mana curve look like, what colors am I playing? But at the end of the day, it's sort of just about having more stuff. Um, so sure. card <laughs> advantage is just about having more stuff than your opponent. So at the end of the day, yeah, Ancestral Recall, good card advantage yeah. card. If, what you want to look at is how many, like, if you, if you were to count up how many lands you had in play, how many creatures you had in play, how many cards you had in hand, how many relevant cards you had in the graveyard, and compared that to your Just opponent. Like what you have access yeah, to. If your number is higher, you are often doing better. Yeah. Now, I say often because it's contextual. There are of times course. where being really far, far behind on board, but being really far ahead in hand, well, you're actually not necessarily in better shape, but you do still technically have card advantage. Yeah. So, I mean, you can really define card advantage quite simply, right? It's just who has more stuff. Yep. Yeah, you can, use, you can use card advantage to stabilize in a negative position. I was playing uh, against a mono red player the other day, and I stabilized it to life. And I stabilized by casting um, a ley line of sanctity, so they can no longer <laughs> use burn spells to target me. Uh, and then I cast moat, which meant the creatures on the ground could no longer attack me. Uh, and yes, I'm a monster. I'm sorry. Yeah, that sounds but, like a fun way to play Magic. But but you look at these you look at these two cards, Leyline of Sanctity and Moat. In in both of these cases, what they do is they're actually restricting 
how many playable cards my opponent has. So despite the fact that they have these resources, they can't use them, and so I'm generating advantage. Mm -hmm. And so I have no cards in hand, my opponent has five cards in hand, they have four cards on the battlefield, but there's no way that they can beat me in that current state. And then I went back to, to resolve yeah. a Sarkhan, the, the Dragon Planeswalker, and then slowly chip them from 20 to death with yeah. the Planeswalker yeah, so There's one other really simple um, way to, to define card advantage. Like, card advantage appears in a lot of different contexts, but the, the one I like to use is the two-for-one. The two-for-one, so, yep. Flame Tongue Kavu, yep. perfect example of card advantage. You play a card, a creature yep. that blows up one of their cards. Yeah, so three, three of the red creature. for a 4-2 that deals so four damage or something when it enters the battlefield. You're up one, they're down one. Yeah. So there's like a two-card delta. Yeah. Right. They, you, you've killed a card with this Flame Tongue Kavu, then they have to spend another card to, to kill it. it. Yeah. So yeah. your yeah. Flame Tongue Kavu got two cards so, and it only cost you one. Yeah. In a sense, this could could be uh, better than something like um, Flame Slash. Yeah. Not always. Yeah. Frequently not, but... Yeah, that that like making the the optimal play with a flame tongue cap is no. really backbreaking. Great, great, great comparison. Both do four damage to a creature. However, one leaves you with a four two afterwards. Yeah, it's like imagine if you could cast flame slash and you also had a four two that you could kill them with. Um, so yeah, it's obviously very powerful. <laughs> it's, it's very I, good. I, I think the other thing too, uh, we've sort of talked a bunch about card advantage, and I think we're just trying to get back to consistency a little bit more. Mm -hmm. right. When we're talking about consistency, we spent a lot of time talking about tutors uh, and then a lot of time talking about redundant cards, right? Cards that read the same. So, you know, Lightning Bolt and Chain Lightning are very similar. It's important to note, though, that another way that you can get redundancy is that you can have cards that are similarly useful in the same matchup. Because not mm -hmm. every deck is going to have the luxury of burn of saying, yeah, I have 16 functional reprints. And so, as a result, you have to look at your deck and be like, okay, I want to draw, you know, one card that's going to be good against aggro. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to draw exactly Kitchen Finks, but you want to look for, you know, cards that are good against aggro. And you can you can find those in a lot of different ways, right? Yeah. You can find lifelink creatures, you can find things like Kitchen Finks, you can also, you know, play cards like Healing Leaves if you'd like. Maybe you, you shouldn't. Wall, Nobody plays maybe Wall of Omens. Right, you know, Wall of Omens is two mana, A two-mana wall that cantrips when it comes wall to Wall of Omens, also card advantage. Healing Leaves, by the way, is, is the color... <laughs> oh, no! Is, 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 yeah, it's, it's one green for prevent three damage or target player gains three life. Don't actually play this card. Why uh, wouldn't you go with the OG cycle and just say Healing Salve? Uh, I like. Mm. I mean, it was printed. This, it was printed at the same time as as our the favorite Ardon card, Healing Ancestral. Leaves is like pretty great. Yeah, the it's Art on Healing cool. Leaves is pretty insane. And also, Healing Salve is white, and like, yeah. you already have a lot of good effective ways to not lose yeah. life as white. Whereas in green, you're kind of on like creatures or like really bad life gain spells. This being chief amongst them. Mm. I like that we're just talking about one mana white and green color shifted cards. Yeah. It's like this sub theme <laughs> of the episode. It, it is thematic. Uh, I wanted to bring something up that just popped into my head. Um, sure. Because we're, we're talking about redundancy. There is yep. one other thing to consider uh, when you're building your deck, and that's flexibility. The Lucky Charms deck that Liam <laughs> built is a great example of yeah, how deck was pretty flexible. flexibility in, in this format especially can be very powerful. So Do you know there are seven ways to bounce a Grafted War Gear that you can have in your hand at the same time? I found out. I, <laughs> Awkward. A gra Were I, you facing a Grafted War Gear? You're like, I, I have so many answers! Yeah. <laughs> that Grafted War Gear killed a lot of good men. Damn. <laughs> Why'd they keep recasting it? Well, they're like, there's no way he's gonna bounce it again. Uh, yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so you can play a bunch of cards that achieve largely the same end. You can also play a bunch of cards that are 
good in many different situations and many different mm -hmm. matchups. And we talk about charms being a good example because yeah. they're modal cards, which means there's usually several different effects that you can choose from. And that makes them really prized in Highlander in, in a lot of formats, just because you know you have this, and it's almost I always going to be good. Oh. I hate that. Uh, it's almost always going to be good. So like I don't know, Cryptic Command. Why this card costs triple blue? Why does every blue deck play it? Well, it does everything. I think there's I think there's a fine line in there too, because sometimes when you're reviewing new decks, people try and put a plan B in. Mm -hmm. You're like, I'm an aggro deck, but I also play Painter Servant Grindstone. Like mm -hmm. that's not the type of flexibility we're talking that, about. No. The type of flexibility we're talking about is like scavenging news. Scavenging news is this great aggro creature that might also just happen to counter storm deck when they're putting non-creature permanents into their deck to try and recur it. Or, or save you from the mono red deck by playing it on turn six and then tapping the rest of your four mana yeah. and gaining four life. Yeah, like yeah. that sort of flexibility or these, I, I mean, I love Highlander because it gives you these weird interactions to, mm -hmm. to, to play with cards that you've never seen before because there's just yeah. more, more variants of what you're going to come up against. I think Reclamation Sage fits in here as well because it's, uh, it's a good answer to... Everything. Well, to like... Any artifact or enchantment, and even if they have neither of those things, it's a two-one that attacks. Yeah, maybe it does. Picks, it, does it does cost three mana, it, which is but, a lot, whatever. and maybe too much. But sometimes you just really need something. Sometimes you got to do it. Sometimes you need something like anyone to pick up GTA to finish the job. <laughs> um, I want to bring us to uh, another point that I think is very important to deck building, uh, which is the mana curve. Yeah. Yep. So we've been talking about consistency. We've been talking about different versions of the same card. So you're like, I love a one mana tutor. I love a two mana tutor. I might love the right three mana tutor. What about a four mana tutor? <laughs> what about a five mana tutor? I mean, Storm plays five mana tutors. Yeah. Uh, so not, not really. No. What like, about the, the, the one that you play? Uh, you you play that has spell mastery. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not a two that's mana not a five tutor. Mana tutor. That's a cost two. Dark, Dark, we're talking about Dark Petition. Dark, yeah. Dark Petition. So Dark Petition. Look in the top right corner of yeah. that card and tell me what the bottom text box. So dark, right. dark Petition for the listeners at home is, is three black black for a sorcery uh, that searches your library for a card, puts it in your head. It, it just diabolic tutors, demonic tutors, whatever you want to call. But it also has Spell Mastery, which says if there are two or more instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard, never add, that. add black 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 to your mana pool. I actually cast it without having it on, on Monday. And Against me! You paid five! That's a five mana spell. I will not be silenced. No, I, I got three black I, and then killed you with it. I, three black was integral to casting the time spiral. I, I think I've cast this card maybe 40 times in Highlander. I think I've missed on Spell Mastery maybe once when my opponent had yeah. a rest in peace. The, the, this card costs two. The, the tutor that costs a lot of mana that I will accept costs okay. a lot of mana is Behold the Beyond. Or Diabolic Revelation. Or Di Diabolic Revelation, but these are like super niche Behold cards. Behold the Beyond, isn't that like eight mana? It's seven mana. <laughs> it, you discard your hand and you find three cards, but again, okay. in, in Storm, it, it's still lethal. It reads you in the game. It yeah. does read you one in the of game. My, one of my favorite mana cost arguments I've ever had with a Highlander player is with Allison. Uh, specifically over the card Tassiger. Oh. So Tassiger has Delve, and, and her and I had this long-running bet, which was, she's like, if I ever have to spend more than two mana for Tassiger, I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> and I think it was about two years went by, and she just sends me a text message out of nowhere being like, I owe you a dollar. And I'm like, oh. You're welcome, that game was against me. Yeah, and, and I was like, you finally <laughs> had to spend more than two for Tassiger? And she's like, yeah, but to be fair, I cast it four times that game. <laughs> I had Caracas. <laughs> I, I think in, in her deck in particular, not to get Woof. too tangential, she's not really taxing her graveyard very much, so Tasker 
almost always going to cost yeah. going to cost not, not that so, much. So let's talk about let's talk about the mana curve. You've got sure. an aggro deck, you've got a control deck. Like what are you what are you looking for? How uh, low can you go? Well, we're talking about Goblin Guide and Inferno Titan. That's two very different curves. Mm -hmm. So in the in the Inferno Titan deck, 6 is okay, but we kept saying they don't belong in the same deck. Somebody want to try and, and answer why? Okay. So your aggro deck wants to rely pretty broadly speaking on uh, inexpensive, very efficient threats. So it wants to get to maybe three mana sources, like three lands of some sort in a game. Mm -hmm. And that's all it needs to play out these ones because it'll play like one drop or like turn one, it'll go one drop. Turn two, it'll go like two more one drops or a two drop. Then turn three, maybe a three drop. And then just have a bunch of like really, really low costed spells. So like, you know, the mono red deck plays all these... Uh, um, which is a very low curve deck. Yeah. Um, plays like you know lightning bolt, chain lightning, all these like one and two, occasionally three mana spells that just like the best three mana spells face your opponent as hard as possible. I think the possible. important thing to add on that is once you have three mana in play, you want to you want to have a higher probability of drawing more gas every turn instead of drawing more lands. So once you're putting down that pressure, you want to make sure that you're you're continuing to keep the gas pedal down because if you draw three lands in a row. Yeah. You're kind of hosed. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's also related to what your opening hands, what you want your opening hand to look like, right? Yeah. yeah. If, if you're a mono red deck and you're playing all these one drop spells, you do not want three lands in your opening hand. Oh, you want you want to keep two. You can keep one. Maybe, maybe. No, no, no. two is fine. Two, yeah. two is two is like the number you want. Like, one is very questionable. Brief aside, gas in this context means relevant cards that yeah. will help you win the game. Yeah. So yeah. you like in the like in the mono red deck, for instance, you want to keep a five spell two land hand. Yep. Like ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah. So That's, as a result, you want to <laughs> build build your deck in a way such that your opening hand is going to look like that most of the time. Jared, do you want to? And one of the reasons you want that is because your plan is for the game to not go very long. So you're only seeing four four or five more cards that right. did not start in your hand. Right. Whereas if you're a control deck, you can keep some sort of speculative <laughs> hands that have like three lands and four spells, but a bunch of the spells are like impulse or ponder. So you don't actually know what these spells are going to do. But they'll probably but, find something. Yeah, but you're looking for the game to go past turn ten, so you're gonna see way more cards. way more cards than your aggro opponent is planning for you to see. Yeah, and 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 then where this gets a little bit confusing as far as mana curves go is when you start playing with decks that want to jump the mana curve in some way, right? And Acceleration, so, ramp so, decks. So yeah. the Inferno Titan deck we've been talking about probably isn't trying to cast Inferno Titan on turn six. No, no. right? Unless it's, unless it's Blue cast... Moon, which which is well, a control yeah. deck, which yeah. is using it as a finisher. But but in general, yeah, you want to cast this Inferno Titan on turn four, or turn five. Yeah. Four and would be great. Three, you're just like soaring mountain mocks. Bear, 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 bear. Yeah. So, so when we're looking at mana curves, it's important to look at how much mana your deck can reasonably produce. So, in the case of mono red, you're making one mana, one more mana each turn, maybe two if you draw your mocks. But odds are you're always going up in increments of one. And you have to ask, how many spells do I need to draw in the time frame that my game plan needs for, to be enacted? Sorry, that was a, a wordy sentence. But no, I like that a lot. That's great. But yeah, yeah how many cards am I actually going to draw? And in the case of Mono Red, like Jar said, it's three, four, maybe five, four, yeah. right? And so as a result, you want to structure your deck in a way such that you are going to draw the, the required number of spells, right? So playing 40 lands in a Mono Red deck is not a good idea because... Playing, playing 33 is. Right. Um, 
And just to, to talk about specific numbers, because I'm sure people are going to be curious about this. Right. That's the next point I have. Is actually, let's talk about the mana base. How yeah. should I play? So, and, Alex, how many lands are you running? Oh, my God. Alex doesn't know he's not. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to get you, Jaeger. <laughs> so I, in, in general, I think that these are just like very broad numbers. And problematically, it's contextual on what's in your deck. Yeah. But, but very, very broadly, you can you can go from here. If you're playing an aggro deck, I like 33, 34. Yeah. I include Moxon. I don't include lands like Wasteland. I tend to count them as halves. Yeah, Wasteland and Strip I Mine, I count them as half lands because a lot of the time they're not actually lands. Yeah, um, Especially in a low curve deck, they don't actually cast about half the spells in your deck exactly. just because they don't cast any of your one drops. Yeah. A lot of your That's two drops are going to be double color. That's a great way of thinking about it. I've color. never thought about that. Yeah. Like yeah. that. So you actually have to look at how many spells these actually help cast. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I came up with about half in most of the decks I play, so I only count them as half a lot. What do you count Mistress Factory? Do you call that a half as well, or yeah. is that a one? That, that's yeah. a half as well, and I'll often... It, de it depends on what you're playing it in, yeah. In blue-white control, I'll count it as a full land. Mm. Okay. Exactly. In, in, in mono red, I'll only count yeah. it as one. But, but Jared's point is the important one here. It's how many of your spells does it actually help you cast? Okay, yeah. so in that case... Um, well, in all cases, uh, Mazavith never counts yeah, as a land. No, does not count as a spell. Is a spell. Yeah. Yeah. So Mazavith is a land that you can tap to remove a creature from combat, and untap it. It's so, important to note. It's a land, it's but a, it does not tap for mana, so don't count it yeah. in your in your mana source. Yeah. Game. So when you're when you're putting a mana base together and you put mana maze of it into your mana base, quote unquote, it's not a land. It shouldn't be part of your mana it's base. It's a spell. It's a spell. Same yeah. thing is true of dark depths. Dark yep. depths is not a land. Yep. It's a spell. Yep. Um, it doesn't matter how many Urborgs you're playing in your deck. <laughs> in you can play one. You can no, play no. two. What? Riftstone portal. No, oh, you can play three. Good. I also like uh, no. What's the three man of rock? Uh, the the, the, the no, chromatic lantern. I was actually lantern. sorry. I'm actually talking about like literal Urborg. There's Urborg and then oh, Urborg, sure. the bad one. Yeah, there's a bad Urborg. There's Urborg team of No, I know, but it's and a second Urborg okay. you can play in your deck. You got body. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, so in general, let, let's let's get the numbers out and then maybe we can talk about it yeah. more okay. broadly. So in aggro, I like 33, 34. In okay. mid range, I like somewhere in the 36, 37 range. Contingent on how much ramp you're playing. For control, I play 40. Yeah. Uh, e easily. 40 easily 40, and I would actually lean higher than that, if, yeah. if possible. And then, I'm no expert in prison, so prison experts, please tell me how to not have fun, how many lands you My play. last prison list, I had 37 lands, but I had 14 mana producing rocks. Sure. Because yeah. my goal is to get mana out and then get rid of it. Yeah, so maybe now let's let's unpack what why each of those numbers are what they are. So for aggro, we've, we've talked about it a bunch. You want to draw, draw lots of spells, you want to be actively casting spells every turn, and you really only want to draw maybe one or two lands in, yeah. the, in the middle you're, of the game. And one of the easiest ways to lose a game for aggro is to flood out, which yeah. means to draw draw too many lands. It sucks. To you, draw can't too keep, many lands. you can't keep the pressure. You can't exactly. control the tempo. That can conceivably win on, like, two lands sometimes. Yes. Easily, yeah. 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 Like the the mono red spells. deck can go just like, aggro guy, aggro guy, burn spell, burn swirl, price of progress, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, fire blast. So for mid range, fire, yeah, fire blast. Yeah. for mid range, we're playing like 36, 37. Maybe and, some mana dorks. Right, and exactly that's the other thing. Mid range decks are often green, and when they're not, they usually have some some artifact mana, um, um, or they just play blue. So like Jeskai is a mid range deck. Yeah, Jeskai is a, a mid range deck as well. So they have draw spells, which yeah. functionally help you find you know, more lands. Say, yeah, those those help to smooth and, out the draws. And those decks sure. have often been going up to 38, 39 lands. Well, even. and they've been playing things like Tithe as well, which yeah. can sort of Man. count as a mana source. Secret tech Tithe. Yeah, Tithe I mean, is very good. I'm actually really surprised. Tithe by is, how is many one white mana. So, yeah, Tithe is one white mana, search your library for a planes card. If you control fewer lands than target opponent, so 
your one opponent in this format, you can search your land for two planes cards. Hmm. Uh, and Any planes cards. Yeah, and so that's why these are good. Um, the cycle lands are really good to this card. Oh, yeah, you can now cast Tithe to find a draw. You can just draw it, a card. It often goes cycle. and gets irrigated farmland. It can get irrigated which is farmland. The blue -white one. It, it fixes your mana, which is pretty it insane. Finds any of the. Um, it's also an instant. Yeah, it, fi it finds any of the original duels, any of the Ravnica duels, um, any of the Zendikar duels. Zendikar duels. Yeah. So yeah. And, and the other important thing yeah. about it: Have you ever had a mystical tutor in hand and wished you could mystical tutor for a land? Well, now you can. Um, that, that's actually why some of them started playing it, right? You have Mystical Tutor hmm. in your deck, you want it to be a toolbox for every situation, and hmm. putting Tithe in your deck is something that lets Mystical Tutor be a toolbox for every situation. Are you stuck on two? Mystical Tutor for Tithe, and, and you're it, good to go. And it's a deck where spells actually matter. You're playing cards like Young Power Mentor, you're playing cards like Monastery Mentor, and often drawing a land card late is super dead, whereas often drawing Tithe late while not ideal, it, it at least does something you as opposed to just drawing a land. Yeah, okay. You can you can tithe for the, the cycling land, and then you got maybe a Monastery Mentor trigger, plus you get to cycle this land away. Yeah. So it's, I want to so, talk about one more thing in yeah. mana base before we start wrapping things up, and that is uh, lands that enter the battlefield tapped. Mm. So how Because a lot of these are very powerful, like the creature lands or... or um, uh, the cycle lands, for example, enter play tapped. How do you evaluate them? How many do you put in? So it, it depends on how many lands you're playing. I think in the aggro decks, you want to play zero. Yeah, yeah. I don't even Ver like barbarian. Almost, right? almost all the time. Barbarian, barbarian, barbarian comes in. Enters untapped. Untapped. What's the one I don't like? Uh, Gitu encampment. Yeah, I don't even, I don't yeah. even like Gitu not, encampment. Not in mono red. No. Yeah, we've been using the mono red example. So no, in mono red, you want zero come into play tapped lands because you're you in a big or, hurry. You or, can't or mono white. Or you know, any, white any of the really yeah. aggressive decks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, in, in mid-range decks, you can usually afford a couple. Typically, these slots go to creature lands, sometimes a cycling land. Yeah. But the two-color creature lands are often very good. Like, yeah. Scry land. Yeah, yeah, I've seen the Scry lands in Jeskai They're very sometimes. Scry lands in, in like, the most control decks or, like, hard combo decks, maybe, but I don't, I don't like them I, in general. I dislike them in control as well, or mm. in, uh, in everything other than control or combo. Yeah, mm. I, I agree. It, I just in, think they're too slow and don't do enough. Yeah, in general... We talked about it in the first episode, but this format's really fast. Yeah. Um, and so taking a turn off to develop your mana with a tap land, you better be doing something else in addition to developing your mana. And scry one, or maybe getting to contingently or to, to draw a card some other time when you draw this land, is oftentimes not enough. So I'll just explain quickly why we think they're all right in combo and control, but not okay in other decks. Sure. So the reason they're all right in combo is you're the you're the proactive deck. You're trying to assemble your thing as fast as possible, and setting up your mana on turn one with the dual land is really proactive, and just getting a little bit of card filtration while doing that is often enough to make it worthwhile to play, especially in two-color decks where you're more limited on dual lands you can play. And in control decks, you're often not doing anything on turn one anyways. Even yeah. if you have a ponder or preordain type effect, you don't know what you need yet because you haven't seen what your opponent's doing. Yeah. So you want to wait to cast it until you know what, what you need to find. Uh, and so doing it on turn one is yeah. is often Con great. Control and decks also have a lot of catch up mechanics. Wrath really helps remedy the fact that, that you're that not doing stuff on turn exactly. one. Exactly. And so you're you're set up for the game to go late. And so the missing the beat on the turn one mm -hmm. won't really matter. Whereas in the other decks, you just need to be doing things on the first few turns. And so even, whether whether you're drawing and you're like, man, I I can't remember how many times I've said, all right. Rip land, and then yeah. I rip tap land, and I'm like, man, why didn't I wish for an untapped land? Yeah. <laughs> it feels horrendous. Um, yeah, and, and I think that in in general with tap lands, um, 
if if you draw them at the wrong time, it can literally just be the end of the game. Well, right? it throws off your tempo. Right, it it exactly. throws off those nice curving out hands. We go one, two, three. So, tap land. No, why couldn't you be untapped? And, yeah. And the nice thing about the cycle lands is that they're fetchable. And so a lot of the times you can fetch for them on turn one, mm. and then you know you're never drawing them, which is yeah. good. Uh, there's like a, there's like an entire hierarchy now of what lands you fetch for. Yeah. When when. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should it's do a whole episode on that. It's yeah. Like, you're like, how when you to crack fetch? For, when you crack for a tap rav duel? When you crack for an untapped land to bluff a spell, even if you don't, just like the mental the mental games and everything here. Yeah. Um. So I just wanna I wanna try and do like a little wrap up with everybody. Yeah. Because we we've, we move we've on talked stuff. about very broad stuff. strokes. You know, and mentioned a, a handful of cards. Um. What I wanted to mention at the end here is that like there's. There's literally too many cards for us to mention. Um, I love this one. For, yeah, for yeah. To, to give you, you know, ideas, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm building this deck, well, you know, what I do. It's like, we could not list them on this podcast. However, there's many um, resources that you can utilize. Taking this general information of, like, how do I concept a deck? How do I, you know, account for curve? How many lands, you know, do I vaguely keep? You know, what things do I need to think about? Once you have that in mind, you can look at, we have a public database um, that I need to update with new cards. Um, but I, I put together a list of all playable the forms. Well, the, yeah. not just playables, like, because I've seen Ben's list and it's kind of, it's pretty, it's ske it's pretty it's, sketchy. Yeah, my Charm skewed that. Yeah, mine. Those the cards list, were all bona fide playable. Yeah. The, 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 the I list, cut the bad ones. Yeah, the list I put together was um, format staples, which mm -hmm. is like cards that see play in our format. And that's like more than once. Yeah. Like these are cards that just show up over and over again. Time so to skew the numbers. No, don't. You can't do that because it's subjective. <laughs> so we have that. Um, looking at other people's lists and especially looking at performing lists. Why does this work? It's just like, you know, this deck and this archetype wins a lot. Why is that? You know, what singles are is it playing? You can look at that for reference and look at, you know, several different lists because even ones within the same archetype will be like 10, 15 cards different. Yeah, if not um, more. And and both of them can be doing well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, like, there's there's lots of places you can look for, like, playable cards. Uh, we'll probably... We might have to just do, like, another episode on just, like, assessing singles. Oh, yeah, it, it's I'm, I'm hard. I'm sure we could. But I, um, the, those are the resources, I think, you know, looking at other people's tapped-out decks for, you know, what cards they're playing, you know... Um, you can maybe take some ideas from one deck and, you know, from another deck and kind of bosh those together with your own kind of thing that you're trying to do. Um, as we roll forward, we'll probably, uh, in, with the podcast, we're probably going to be talking about a lot more singles. But uh, the fact of the matter is that we are going to have to let people do their own research to find them because there's, like, so many yeah, cards. Yeah, we, we can't, we can't evaluate every card by, by itself, but what we're trying to do is give you the resources to be able to do the evaluation yourself and figure out, A, is this card good enough to play in such a fast format, and B, is this card good in your deck? Um, Have you got a closing statement? Well, yeah, what I was hoping we could do quite quickly is if someone wants to, and I can if no one else does, but maybe in like a minute or less go through the process of how they built either their last deck or the deck before that, mm. uh, and just sort of like, what, what was the idea that got you there, and then what did you actually do that, that got you to the final list? And I can do it in a minute if no one else can. All right, go real fast, because right, we're, we're running low on time. <laughs> so, so the last deck I played was Paradox Engine Storm. Oh, um, baby. So this is a deck that's using Paradox Engine, which is a five mana artifact that untaps all your non-land permanents whenever you cast a spell. And I said, okay, I want to I cast Paradox Engine. I said, 
I decided you can either do this with creatures or artifacts. I decided to do it with artifacts. So I went and I found all of the two mana artifacts that I thought were playable. I put them in my deck that made mana. Then That's I went, really good because they basically have haste. They do. They're very good. Uh, then I went and found all of the draw seven cards because I knew I was going to be emptying my hand really aggressively. I put all of those in my deck. Fortune. Yeah. Then I went and found all of the tutors that found Par Paradox Engine. I put all of those in my deck. Then I went and found all the tutors that found draw sevens that were free and not on the points list. I put those on my, in my deck. And then I, found, I uh, decided to put in a, a couple of different cards to actually win the game. I put an Emrakul in my deck. I put, and I put an Aetherflux Reservoir in my deck as two ways to win the game. And then that's for like the final, yeah, the it's pretty good. And then for the final sort of five-ish cards, I looked at what the rest of my deck was and thought, what else helps? Um, I put Channel in my deck because it a combos with Emrakul and b can help you cast a bunch of mana rocks on turn one. Combos. I then went and looked online at someone else who had played a similar deck list and basically just stole four tech cards they put in their deck. So I, I played <laughs> Silence. I played a Swords to Plowshares. Um, just the one of. Just the one of, yeah. It was my only sure. removal really spell. It's really good. It was very good, yeah. Uh, and then I put in the cantrips, was the last thing. Uh, just some blue cantrips to help set it up, trigger Paradox Engine, and that was it. I had my deck. Um, Worth mentioning, he beat me on Monday with this list, so it, it performed. Yeah, it was a good deck. Cool. Yeah. I like and the then, process. You know, and then after that, it's just a matter of fine-tuning, yeah. right. testing. And in inspiration, research, and then tuning. Right. All I decided was, I want to ask a lot of questions. I want to ask one big complicated question, which is, can you beat Paradox Engine with a bunch of stuff in play? Answer, probably not. Right, and then I found a bunch of stuff that went with that. All right, Alex, you want to take us home with the uh, our returning segment, Powerful Magic? So I'm on Aristocrats, which is a, a deck that um, sort of wins by uh, gaining advantage out of s sacrificing my own creatures or arranging for them to have accidents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And my like opponent, that. yeah, that's so morbid. <laughs> yeah, it's really morbid. So my opponent, which is apt. It's true. Getting yeah. morbid triggered is actually very, very important. <laughs> death ritual. Death ritual. Um, my opponents on reanimator. It might have been white X control. I think it was reanimator. So sure. they go, they go Elish Norn. Oh, like, Elish Norn, the bane of all creature against strategies. Against a creature-based strategy, like the card is absolutely backbreaking. Right. So this is. It's seven mana for a uh, for five a four, four seven, seven vigilance. vigilance that gives all enemy creatures minus two minus two and all your creatures plus two plus yeah. two. Alex so doesn't have a lot of creatures that with looks, more than yeah, two. Toughness. This, this looked like bad news, but then I was like, wait, I have outpost siege in play, which choosing is the much maligned, choosing the much maligned, you know, dragons. ping. Uh, Whenever a creature you control leaves play, deal one damage to target creature or player. I believe so, that is the dragons mode, right? I sort of scratched my head at this and I was like. I'm okay with this. Nailed it. And I, mode. I spent the rest of the game just playing, you know, two toughness creatures into this Elish Norn debuff, having them die as state-based actions, and I pinged him to death. I love it. And well, like, often these creatures you play damage. will also bring another creature back, which yeah, will so, also die. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you should so play it's like, like a two-for-one creature. Play, play like, Doom Traveler, ping you for one, get a spirit, ping you for one, go. Yep. Now the, the creature deck won through Elish Norn. Yep. I love it. Powerful magic. There you go. It's pretty good. Just like, ah, oh, I couldn't lose for winning, or couldn't win for losing. I don't know. You did it. Got you there. did it. You battled through it. Got there. Bear, 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 bear. Bear, bear, bear. All right. Well, I want to say thank you to my co-host, as always, for being here. Uh, it's been wonderful. I want to thank you to the viewers. Uh, we've been getting a lot of wonderful support from the, the past episode, and that's great. And so thank you so much for that. I want to thank you because this episode is brought to you by you through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Run. 
Um, yeah, this is a lot of fun. We're going to continue doing this podcast. And yeah. uh, Do tell us what parts you like. Yeah. Um, so down in the comments below, let us know sections you like, what you're looking forward to. Uh, we're going to be sure any of the deck lists we talked about, probably just uh, red deck wins and maybe maybe one other that we brought big, up a bunch. Big we'll, red, maybe. Big red, yeah. we'll, we'll throw in the comments below so that you have a chance to look at these lists and stuff and like that. If you have questions about them too, you can tweet at us. Uh, Hit us up tweet, on Twitter, tweet. you'll find it in the descriptions. Yeah, yeah. all of our Twitters will be there. Mm -hmm. And what is next episode going to be? Next episode is going to be the Ixalan set review. So oh boy! <laughs> now, now keep in mind, we're going to be looking at this through a Highlander lens specifically. So, so not is it not is it limited playable, not is it standard playable, but does this work in the context of Highlander? So and that's... There's some cards, some big well, cards like to compare that to. Basically, we're going to take a skimming of yeah, yeah. <laughs> just stuff that's interesting because there's a lot of stuff that exists in, especially new sets that are just like, these are cards for draft. We don't need to worry yeah, about or them. Even a lot of the cards for standard, we can, yep. we can just push not, to the side. Like, they cost two to and, three and mana maybe too much. If we've got some time, we'll talk about some trap cards too. Ooh, yeah. not, not literally subtype trap cards. No, 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 cards that, that we think might be playable, mm. but you're like, no, don't do trap it. Trap tribal. Right. <laughs> but anyways, this is us at North 100 saying thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. See ya. Bye.